And um, I, I hope and pray that you were listening to the words of that song because um, there's a lot of truth in that. If it matters to you, it matters to the Master. Uh, Genesis, uh, Genesis. I'm so used to being in Genesis. Judges chapter 4. Judges chapter 4 this morning. <clears throat> Last week we, uh, we finished a several month study, a deep dive if you would, on the life of Joseph. And um, I trust that, that, that it was an encouragement to you. I know for me, as I studied and prepared and uh, read and read and read uh, in preparation for those sermons, um, God God used the life of Joseph to do a, 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 just an incredible work in my, my heart and life, and I, I trust it was a blessing to you as well. But over the next few months, <clears throat> we're going to be looking at several other people uh, in the Bible that were resolved in their walk with God. Our theme this year is I am resolved. And as we look at this idea of being resolved, Joseph was not the only one in the Bible. Uh, and we're going to look at several other lives as we uh, continue throughout the rest of the year. Uh, this morning, obviously, we're going to look at someone in the book of Judges, uh, Judges chapter 4. And um, so in order for you, because Judges is kind of an, a, a, a different kind of a book in the Bible. Um, so let me kind of give you a little little back history on the book of Judges to kind of help put it in perspective. I think it will help you uh, understand the message a little bit better this morning. But if you were to go to the index in your Bible, you would see that the first five books of the Bible is uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Uh, that is what theologians call the Pentateuch. And it's uh, those are all written by Moses. And obviously Genesis, Genesis uh, is, is kind of self-explanatory. Exodus is self-explanatory. It is the story of the Exodus out of Egypt. And then um, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy have to deal primarily, not totally, but primarily with the Levitical law that, that God gave Moses and, and so on and so forth. So those five books are important. Then the next book after that is the book of Joshua. Joshua is a... he, he the, the book of Joshua is written by Joshua, but it provides us with a, a overview of the military campaign of the conquering the land or, or conquering the promised land when uh, the Jews uh, for for very quick synopsis uh, when the Jews leave Egypt they they come to the promised land and because of their lack of faith God says okay you're going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years after that 40 year period of time they come back to the Jordan River, getting ready to cross into the Promised Land, and 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 because of sin, Moses was not allowed to go into the Promised Land. So Moses dies, or well, we don't know if he dies. Anyway, long story. Uh, that's something different. Um, anyway, Moses is no longer on the scene, and Joshua then takes over. And Joshua is the military leader, I guess you would say, in a sense, um, to 
lead the people into the promised land to conquer the promised land uh, that God had promised that they would have. Then we have the book of Judges. So you have the, the first five books of the, Pen, the Pentateuch, then you have the book of uh, uh, Joshua, and then you have the book of Judges. The book of Judges is a tragic account of how God was taken for granted by the children of Israel. If you were to start at the front of the book of Judges and you were to read all the way through, you would see a, a, a cycle that, that goes through the land of uh, Israel. They, they trust God for a little while. And then they turn away from God and they start worshiping other gods. And then they, they hit bottom and God, God judges them. And they repent and they come back. And you see this cycle all the way through the book of Judges. <clears throat> but in the book of Judges, there are several leaders that God raises up, so to speak, during these cycles so that when they hit bottom, God would raise up a judge and this judge would, would bring the people back to God and then they would, they would, they would start the cycle all over again. <clears throat> so, the book of Judges is a beautiful picture of the love of God for you and me. Because we can look at the book of Judges and we can criticize the nation of Israel for their you know, go, uh, worshiping God and then turning away from God and worshiping God and turning away from God and, and this cycle that they continually go through. But the reality is this, we do the same thing. We do the same thing. And the love of God never changes. And that's the one thing that you see in the book of Judges. Even though they would turn their back and they would worship other gods, God's love never changed. His promise to Abraham never changed. His promise to Abraham to make a great nation out of his descendants never changed. God loved the people through the ups and through the downs. And as we cycle our way through life, the book of Judges is a great reminder that we need to do our best to stay at the top curve <laughs> because <clears throat> that's where God will bless us. There are some key verses in the book of Judges to kind of help understand what's going on in the book of Judges. Uh, Judges chapter 2 Verses um, uh, 16 and 19, it says, Nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges which were delivered on, uh, de which delivered them out of the hand of those that spoiled them. And yet they would not hearken unto the judges. <clears throat> but they went a whoring after other gods and bowed themselves unto them, and uh, they turned quickly out of the way which their fathers walked in, obeying the commandment of the Lord, but they did not so. And when the Lord raised them up judges, then the Lord was with the judge, 
and deliver them out of the hand of their enemies all the day of the judge of the judge for it repented the lord because their groanings by by reason of them that oppressed them was uh, and vexed them and it came to pass when the judge was dead they returned and corrupted themselves more than their fathers in following other gods to serve them and bowed unto them they ceased not uh, from their own doings nor from their stubborn ways so let let me kind of summarize what we just read when you start in the book of judges you, you start to see this cycle that i talked about a minute ago but as every time god would bring a judge into their lives they would repent they would get right and then as long as that judge lived they would do right but as soon as that judge died then they would start going back and worshiping other gods and what they, what this says is that every time that cycle happened it got worse and worse and worse until at the end of the book of judges it, it it's 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 horrible what they were doing so <clears throat> that is very characteristic of you and I today. When sin happens in our lives and we get away with it, what happens? We sin more and more and more. But God loves us through it, through it all. Beautiful picture. Judges chapter 10, verse 15. And the, and the children of Israel said unto the, to the Lord, We have sinned. Do thou unto us whatsoever seemeth good unto thee. Deliver us only, uh, we pray thee this day. So again, they, they, they were in trouble. They prayed and, uh, to God to get them out of trouble, so to speak. Then the last, bo- the last verse in the book of Judges, Judges chapter 21 and verse 25, is a revealing verse to the hearts of men. In Judges 21, 25, it says, In those days... There was no king in Israel. Every man did that was which was right in his own eyes. So that kind of kind of gives you a synopsis of the book of Judges. But Judges start with a guy named Othniel. Okay, Othniel. If you go to the beginning of the book of Judges, the first judge is this guy named Othniel. The last judge is actually not in the book of Judges. It's in the next, it's in the next book, and that's Samuel. And anybody ever heard of the prophet Samuel? Well, he was a judge he, and a prophet, but he was a judge that God used to help the nation of Israel. So let's talk about what a judge is, okay, because this is important. Um, judges were not kings or monarchs. What they were, they were spiritual leaders that God put in place to lead the nation spiritually. Does that make sense? Okay, that's, that's, that's what they were. They were not kings. They were not any kind of monarchs or anything. They were just spiritual leaders that God would raise up for a time to lead the people spiritually. Uh, they would 
if you go back to the to to the book of Exodus, Moses, to me, Moses was probably would fall in the category of a judge because he wasn't a king, um, but he judged the people. Um, his father-in-law, there's a whole passage in the book of Exodus where his father-in-law comes to him and says, hey, you gotta, you got to put other judges in place because you can't do it all. But the, the, the judges would actually hold court and they would, for lack of better terms, they were the Supreme Court, if you would, for the nation of Israel. Their word, their word was final. Whatever they judged, that was it. There was no appeals court. There was nothing left. The period of time that the book of Judges takes place is 480 years. So from Judges chapter 1 all the way through the end of the book is 480 years. So, so you have almost 500 years of these cycles taking place in the book of Judges. So why am I telling you all this? Well, because as we are looking at people of resolve, we're going to probably look at a few of these judges. So you need to understand the cycles and everything going on in the lives of the nation of Israel. But this particular one is different than all the rest of the judges. The judge that we're going to talk about this morning is different than any other judge that ever judged the nation of Israel. The title of my message is this, A Resolved Leader. A Resolved Leader. Let's look at Judges chapter 4 and verse 1. And the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord when Ehud was dead. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabed, king of Canaan, that reigned in Hazor, the captain of whose host, uh, Sisera, which dwelt in uh, Horasheth of the Gentiles. And the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, for he did, uh, excuse, for, forgive me, for he had 900 uh, chariots of iron, and 20 years he mightily oppressed the children of Israel. And Deborah, a prophetess, the, woman, the wife uh, Labadath, she judged Israel at that time. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love, for the work you do in our lives, and thank you for the word of God that changes lives. And Lord, as we look at your word this morning, we ask that you would guide and direct in a very special, very specific way in our lives. And Lord, help us to be more like you. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Deborah was an incredible, incredible woman. And I, I, the years that I've been saved, I've been saved now for over, over 40 years. And I, I've heard pastors say some really stupid things about Deborah. And, and I, you know what? I don't, God raised up a very precious, precious person to judge the nation of Israel. 
And too often, we can become judgmental. I've heard, I've heard pastors say stupid things like, uh, God had to use a woman to save the nation of Israel because a man wouldn't step up and do it. That's about the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Deborah was a woman that walked with God. She was a woman that loved God and was resolved to serve God. So this week and next week, we're going to be talking about Deborah. But Deborah was a woman that walked with God, and I believe that her husband um, was a man that recognized the hand of God on her life and encouraged her to walk with God and to serve God. As we unfold the story of Deborah here, and she's only, she's only in two, two chapters of the Bible, Judges chapter 4 and 5, we're going to see an incredible person that loved God and would do anything to serve him. This morning, let's look, point number one, let's look at the enemy. The enemy, it's important we recognize who the enemy is here. The enemy we see in uh, chapter 4 and verse 2, and the Lord sold them into the hand of uh, Japan, uh, king of Canaan. So the enemy, or the Canaanites, more specifically the king of Jabin, but then it goes on and it says... Um, the captain of whose host was a guy named Sisera. So let's let's talk about Sisera for a minute. Sisera uh, <clears throat> was the commander of the Canaanite army. And <clears throat> if you understand the period of time, the fact that he had 900 iron chariots under his command um, that would be equivalent of today of having a Sherman tank, okay? Just saying. I mean, these things in, in that day and time, they were basically considered indestructible because the Israelites had no army. They had nothing to, to fight back with. And this man had 900 iron chariots, and he was, a, was very cruel uh, and oppressive in his dealings with the, the, with the uh, Jewish people. A description, Deborah uh, gives us a description. If you turn over to chapter 5, uh, he, she gives us a description here uh, in chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. Uh, it says, in, in, in the day of uh, Shamagar, the son of uh, Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were uh, unoccupied and the travelers walked through the byways. And the inhabitants of the villages ceased. They ceased in Israel until that I, Deborah, arose, that I arose 
a mother of Israel. So basically what, what Deborah is saying here in chapter 5, verses 6 and 7, is that the, that the people were so afraid, they, very, they only left their houses when they absolutely had to. And they didn't walk on the highways. They went, they went the back roads because of the oppression of Sisera. He was a, 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 just a cruel, cruel person. And he held a very tight grip. But God is going to use Deborah. And we'll see this next week. We're not going to see it so much this week. But next week, we're going to see that God raises up Deborah in a very unique way to defeat the Canaanites. Really important. The Canaanites under Sisera, uh, the, the military leader, fully expected to defeat the, the Israelites in battle uh, because <clears throat> they were outgunned, they were outnumbered, and they simply considered the, the Israelites powerless. So when, they, when the battle takes place, and again, we'll talk about this next week, um, they expected to, it to be a cakewalk, if you would. But they forgot the, the uh, factor that God is on the side of Israel. And God is going to use Deborah in a great way. So the victory of Israel <clears throat> over Sisera was so great that David, in, the, in one of his psalms, mentions uh, Sisera and the defeat of Sisera. In Psalm chapter 83 and verse 9, it says, <clears throat> Do unto them as unto the Midianites, as to Sisera and to Jabin at the brook of Kishon. So the battle that is about to take place is such a great, incredible victory for the nation of Israel that years later, David mentions it in one of his psalms. Point number two, and this is, this, is, this is important, so please get this. Point number two, the many hats of a leader. The many hats of a leader. Those of you that are in leadership of any sort know what I mean when I say a leader wears many hats. And in one verse here, God gives us three hats that Deborah wears. And, well, let's, let's, let's just get into it. Let's look at verse 4. <clears throat> and Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of uh, Lapida, uh, she judged Israel at the time. So the first hat that we see Deborah having here is the fact that she was a prophetess. Now, <clears throat> Deborah was one of many women mentioned in Scripture as being a prophet. I started to make up a list of the women, and I, I decided not to because it, it's not important. But the fact is, a prophet or a prophetess was simply someone that had the ability to discern the mind of God and then take that discernment and deliver it to the people. That's what a prophet or a prophetess was. So, 
In the Old Testament, God used prophets and prophetesses to deliver his word. It was, it's just that simple. Now, you may ask yourself, why don't we have prophets and prophetesses today? It's because we have his word. Okay, we have the complete canon of scripture. So we don't need them anymore. And uh, <clears throat> so it's important we understand that. It was a very important office, but oftentimes the messenger got blamed for the message. Okay, uh, I can attest to that. There are times where I will, you know, hey, I didn't say it. It's what the Bible says. Don't, don't, don't shoot the messenger, you, you know, have issue with God. Don't, don't have issue with me. But I want to give you a couple examples in, in, in biblical history where um, the, the, the messengers got in trouble for delivering the message. In 1 Kings chapter 22 and verse 18, it says, And the king of Israel said unto uh, Jehoshaphat, Did I not tell thee that he, being the prophet Micah, would prophesy no good concerning me but evil? So here the king of Israel is talking to the king of Judah, Jehoshaphat, and, I, and he says, see, I told you this guy hates me and he only prophesies evil against me. Is that true? No, he only prophesies truth. That's what a prophet does. <clears throat> so uh, he got blamed when the king didn't like what he had to say. In, in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 6 and 7, it says, uh, But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us uh, to uh, a, a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed unto the Lord, and the Lord said unto Samuel, Hearken unto the voice of the people and all that they say unto thee, for they have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me that I should not reign over them. Again, Samuel was saying, look, you know, they're getting mad at me. And, and God says, hey, no, no, don't. They're, they're getting mad at me, not you. And so often the messenger got blamed for the bad news that they had to deliver. So it was a, so it was a hard position to be in, if you would. So the second hat that she had to wear is the fact that she was a wife. It says that she was named, married to a guy named uh, uh, Labadoth. Labadoth um, literally means lightning bolt. So uh, names in the Old Testament often describe who that person was. This guy was not a pushover. This guy was somebody with strong character. Okay. I personally believe that Deborah would not have been the woman that she was if it not been for her husband behind her, supporting her and giving her what she needed to serve God with. Although there is no, no mention of children uh, uh, in her life, it would be indicated that 
she came, became a mother of Israel. If you go back to verse 7, we read it a moment ago, uh, chapter 4, uh, <clears throat> um, oh, I'm sorry, chapter 5, I, I knew that one, right? Chapter 5 and verse 7. It says, the inhabitants of the villages ceased, and uh, they ceased in, in Israel until um, that I, Deborah, arose, that I arose a mother of Israel. So here this woman, who more than likely had no children, we probably would have been told if she had had children, but she had no children. She became like a mother to the nation of Israel. Uh, a guy named Albert Bengel wrote this. He said, Jesus had no children that he might adopt all children. Perhaps it is so with Deborah, who, as far as we know, never experienced actual motherhood. But she is described as a mother of Israel. So here she fulfills a great need for the people of Israel. The third hat that she wears we see in verses 4 and 5. Uh, and Deborah, uh, chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, it says, And Deborah, prophetess to the wife of uh, Labadoth, uh, she judged Israel at the time. And she dwelt under a palm tree, uh, excuse me, under the palm tree of Deborah, between Ramah and Bethanel in Mount Ephraim, and the children of Israel came unto her for judgment. <clears throat> now, it's interesting that she, it appears as though she holds, excuse, you know, it, she holds court outside under a palm tree. In fact, it, it was called the palm tree of, of Deborah. And you know, we think, what's the big deal? Well, the big deal is the fact that palm trees in Canaan were, were rare. And the fact that she held court, if you would, under a palm tree was, was very significant to the people at the time. It was a landmark that everybody knew. Every, everybody in Israel knew about the palm tree of Deborah. So here you have her judging the nation of Israel. Now, let me say this. <clears throat> I mentioned it earlier that there were several female prophetesses. Well, that's a hard word to say. Prophetesses <clears throat> in the nation of Israel. But there was only one female judge. Do you think she had a lot going against her? A whole bunch. Because she lived in a male-dominant society. In fact, the Middle East, most of the countries in the Middle East are still very male-dominant. And she, so she, she was the only female judge in the nation of Israel. What an incredible feat. Yet she does an incredible job because God's hand was on her. Earlier we read Judges chapter 21 and verse 25. In those days there was no king in Israel, and every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Here we see a woman 
bucking the system, so to speak, but walking with God. What an incredible example. What an incredible woman. What an incredible person. It's no secret that being a godly leader like Deborah was is learning to put God first in her life. Now, I want to, the reason I went through all of that point two, the many hats that she wore, is because I want, I, I want to, I hope you recognize the fact that she had her priorities right. Now, if I were to ask you, what are the most important things in your life? Hopefully you would say something to the effect of God, my family, and then my job, right? Isn't that how we should live? Well, that's how she lived. She was first a prophetess, then she was a wife, then she was a judge. She had her priorities right. Why is that so significant? Because when we walk with God and we do what we're supposed to do, God can use us in great ways. But if we put our job before God, God can't use us. Well, he can, but not near the way that he wants to. But Deborah understood the priorities of life. God first, her family second, and then her job third. And we see that very clearly laid out in Scripture. And what a beautiful picture of the priorities in her life. Then the next thing I want to point out, and this is, this is I think, equally important, Point number three, her lineage. Her lineage. Let's read her lineage. Look at verse four of chapter four. And Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth. That's her, that's her lineage. She did not come from a prominent family. She did not come from any kind of royalty or, or, or anything. She was just simply married to a guy named Lightning. That's it. I just thought of a stupid joke I'm not going to say. <clears throat> In other words... In 21st century America, she would be considered a nobody because she had, she was just, she was just like you and me. There, there was not, she wasn't born into a specific family because had she been born into a, a an important family, it would have been listed. She was just a common person. 
Just, just like you and me. Deborah's life demonstrates to me that God can use me if I will walk with him. And the reality is this. God can use you if you will walk with him. See, the power that Deborah possessed was not because of a family that she was born into or the money that she had in the bank. The power that she had was because she walked with God. And you and I have the same ability as she did because the God that she served is the same God that we serve today. So often, so often, we get hung up on the, well, I'm not good enough, or, you know, I, I'm a man, or I'm a woman, or I'm, I'm weak, or I'm not strong enough, and, and we can make up all kinds of excuses. But here you have a woman in a very male-dominated society that breaks the mold. All because of one thing. She walked with God. And it blows away all of our excuses. I remember when I was in college and I was preparing to come here, and my wife and I were preparing to come here and, and, and start Grace Baptist Church 13 years ago. I was, I was 48 years old, and I, I went into one of my professors, and I sat in his office, and I said, I said, I said Dr. Childs, and this, this guy I'm talking to probably at the time was in his early 80s. He, he, yeah, I was going to say, he, he looked like he was right there with Moses, you know. Um, but I went to him and I, and I said, I said, Dr. Childs, I said, I feel like I'm too old to do what I'm getting ready to do. And I honestly, honest, honest to God, I expected him to say, you know what, you're probably right. You know, 48 years old, you shouldn't be moving across the country moving to, you know, you shouldn't probably ought to do that, Rick. You probably should just stay here. And, and, you know, that's what I wanted to hear. But you know what that old man said? I thought he was, you could see the the blood veins in his neck. And and he started, I thought he was going to come over the desk at me. And And he stuck his finger in my face. He says, Rick, don't ever, don't ever, let your age keep you from doing the will of God. What had I what had I done? I had developed an excuse that I thought was a pretty good one. But so often we hide behind our excuses. 
oh, I have to work too much, or oh, I have to do this, or this, you know, and we can come up with some of the best excuses. And all God wants us to do is get our priorities straight. Serve Him, take care of our families, and then work. As long as we will get our priorities right, God can use us in an incredible way. Next week, we're going to see Deborah as a warrior. And hopefully, if we have time, we're going to see her as a, as a poet. She, she wore a lot of hats. She was an amazing, amazing person. But let me close with this. <clears throat> my hope this, in, in this morning's message is there's, there's one thing that I hope you got out of this message. Now, I know at the beginning I got, gave you a lot, of, a lot of back information, and hopefully that didn't bore you, but I felt like it was important to understand what was going on at the time. But I hope you get one thing out of this morning's message. God wants to serve, wants to use you. And it's time we put away the excuses and say, God, here am I. Send me. That's the one thing I hope you got out of this. At the beginning, I said that the book of Judges is a tragic account of how God was taken for granted over and over and over. And so often that is so true in our lives. We take God for granted. But I also said that the book of Judges is a a wonderful account of how he raised up many godly people that turned the heart of a nation back to him over and over and over. So this morning, choose to serve God. Deborah chose to serve God. I trust you will too. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love and for the work you do in our lives. And Lord, we, we trust that as we conclude our service this morning that you would speak to our hearts. And although Deborah was a, an amazing person, she overcame many incredible obstacles Lord, we ask that you would speak to our hearts. And Lord, help us to see that the obstacles that we, that we have in our lives oftentimes are merely just bumps in the road. Lord, help us to serve you with our lives. And Lord, help us to see Deborah as an incredible example of that. Thank you for your love and, and help us to serve you. With every head bowed and